Good morning, everyone, and a very warm welcome to Hillhead at the Grosvenor. Our service this morning will be led by our Minister Katrina, and as ever, everything we need to follow the service is both on our printed order of service and on our screen. Please stay and have a cup of tea or coffee at the end of this service. Uh, the November issue of our church magazine, The Key, is available today. If you didn't get one on your way in, please take one with you as you're leaving. Uh, it's got all Thank you, Anne. Our call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 127. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? One thing I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. Our opening hymn of praise this morning. Now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices. And if you're able, you're invited to stand as we sing. of our custom and practice here to pray on their way those who are either leaving us good 
or for a season. So I would like to pray for Rory this morning. Would you like to come and stand with me? Are you feeling brave enough to do that? So I think if I'm correct, you're going to work with the probation Probation service in London. So very important work. And uh, Rory will take with us our love and our prayers as he goes into that work. So I just would like to pray for him now. Loving God, we thank you for Rory and all that he has given of himself whilst he has been with us these past few years. And we thank you that he has found this role to which he feels called even though it means taking him such a long way from home. And we know that you go before him and that you will be there to surround him with your love and to strengthen him in each day. And so we pray your blessing on him now. Rory, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace now and always. Amen. And now we continue in prayer in our prayers of approach and as is custom here, after I have guided us in prayer, we will share together in the Lord's Prayer in our own normal first languages. So let's pray together. Ever-present God, with us in the whole of life, we gather in the name of Christ to worship you, to listen for your voice in scripture and in song, and to bring you our prayers for the world of which we are part. God who spoke, and light displaced the darkness. Christ, the light of the world, that no darkness can understand or overcome. Spirit, whose flame-like presence alights on those who gather, hear us now as we bring our prayers of thanksgiving and of praise. Thank you that while it was still dark, when most of us still slept, you were with us. Thank you that as light dawned, as the sky changed colour, when we awoke, yawned and stretched. You shared those moments with us. Thank you that in the light of the day, as our familiar routines occupy us, you are alongside us. Thank you that when the day ends, darkness falls and we take our rest. You will be there too to watch over us through another night. Thank you that when life seems dark, when disappointment feels overwhelming, you are with us. Thank you that as we work through the challenges life brings our way, you share those moments with us. Thank you that when life is uneventful and mundane, you are alongside us. Thank you that in moments of celebration, success and pure joy, 
you are also there enjoying, delighting and celebrating with us. God, for whom darkness and light are alike. Christ, who shares all human emotions and experiences. Spirit, who accompanies, encourages, inspires and transforms. Accept our thanks and hear us as we join our voices with those of your whole church, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. among us today who is interested in stargazing. Any astrologers? St astronomers even. <laughs> Maybe astrologers. Any astronomers? Anybody who enjoys looking at Kenda's? Brilliant. Anybody else who is interested in the stars? Okay, well, we'll see how we get on. I'm going to show you some pictures. Um, and I'm just thinking, actually, I've got one in the wrong order there, so that's going to be interesting. Okay, we'll just ignore those. We're going to come back to those. I've got my slides in the wrong order. Can anybody tell me what constellation that one is? 
Orion. Yep. Okay. How many people recognised Orion? So Orion is the hunter, and I think we normally spot Orion by his belt. Oops. Dear me, I'm not doing very well today. His belt um, is often what people find there. Um, so Orion, the hunter. Okay. See who's next, or what's next. Yep. It is the Big Dipper, yeah, or the Plough, or Ursa Major, yeah, the Great Bear. So we have the Great Bear, and we have the Little Bear, Ursa Major, and Ursa Minor, the Big Dipper, and the Little Dipper, or the Plough, and the one that doesn't get a name under that scheme. Um, and of course we have, what's the star in the tail of the Little Bear? The North Star, yeah, so the one that you use to, people use to navigate by. Okay. Anyone know what that one is? But even Ken's looking marginally puzzled. <laughs> okay, this one is actually much less familiar, I think. It is actually the Pleiades, who are up there in the constellation of Taurus, but are technically a constellation in their own right. So Orion is kneeling in front of Taurus the bull, um, and the Pleiades are part of that. Does anybody know why I chose those three constellations? And not any of the others, because I have actually got... There we are, there are the, the 12 that... Um, yep, that's right. Well done, Andrew. Those three constellations, Orion... The great and little bear and the Pleiades are all mentioned in the book of Job in the Bible. So, yep, we have stars in the Bible. Well, I'm just going to go back to my other ones. And I just want to ask you, what do you see in that photograph? A rainbow. You're too good at this, aren't you? Yeah. Um, any idea, anybody know roughly where that photograph was taken? It, this one comes from the web. It's not one of mine, but... You may or may not recognise it. It may well be the Red Road Tracks. I'm not sure, but it's taken in Glasgow. Um, it's got Summerfield in the front, so I'm guessing it's quite an old photograph. But, yeah, there is a rainbow running behind the flats. Um, this is one of mine. Anybody know where? Yep, the bottom of Byers Road into Dumbarton Road. Um, I actually took that one in August would you believe? It was a very, very grey day and I was walking along to Barton Road in the direction of Byers Road and as I just rounded a corner there was this amazing rainbow. And this one also comes off the web, this is not one of mine but it's got a double rainbow yeah, on that one um, and, and I guess we all know where that one is because it's near the Squinty Bridge and the, the big crane. Yeah. Okay, so, rainbows, why do we like rainbows? Anybody? What's good about rainbows? They're beautiful. That's, that's good enough for me. Yeah, any other reasons why we might like rainbows? Whilst I just flick through my stars again. Full of colours, yeah. Anybody know where rainbows appear in the Bible? Noah's Ark, yeah. And what's the, what's the sort of feature in Noah's Ark? What does the, rain, the rainbow represent? Promise, yeah. I can hear somebody at the back saying a promise. 
This is God's the sign in in this, in this Noah's story. It's God's promise never to flood the earth again, never to destroy the earth by flooding again. Fortunately, I think humanity might actually um, succeed with that one if we're not careful. But there is a saying which um, apparently is attributed to Oscar Wilde. I cannot find proof of this. I spent at least two hours yesterday trying to find a source for this, but whether Oscar Wilde said it or not, I think it's a good saying. When it rains, look for rainbows. When it's dark, look for stars. And it doesn't just mean when it's literally raining and when it's literally dark. It's kind of one of these <coughs> quotes for life, if you like. When times are difficult, look for rainbows, look for the signs of hope. When it's dark, when you feel everything's weighing you down, look up, look for the bright spots of light within that. Mm -hmm. And count your blessings. Thank you, Ruth, indeed. So when, it's rain, when it rains, look for rainbows. When it's dark, look for stars. And count your blessings. So we're going to sing a song now, which is a new song, I think, for us. And I think we're going to hear... Are we hearing it right through, Leo? Or the verse through? Yeah, we'll hear the verse through. Um, hopefully we can pick it up as we go along. Thank you.
Psalm 137 By the rivers of Babylon we sat down. There we wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows nearby we hung up our harps. Those who captured us told us to sing. They told us to entertain them. Sing us a song about Zion. How can we sing a song to the Lord in a foreign land? May I never be able to play the harp again, if I forgive you, Jerusalem. May I never be able to sing again, if I do not remember you, if I do not think of you as my greatest joy. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did, the day Jerusalem was captured. Remember how they kept saying, tear it down to the ground. Babylon, you will be destroyed. Happy is the man who pays you back for what you have done to us, who takes your babies and smashes them against a rock. John chapter 14. Do not be worried and upset, Jesus told them. Believe in God and believe also in me. There are many rooms in my father's house and I am going to prepare a place for you. I would not tell you this if it were not so. And after I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to myself so that you will be where I am. You know the way that leads to the place where I am going. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper who will stay with you forever. Peace is what I leave with you. It is my own peace that I give you. I do not give it as the world does. Do not be worried and upset. Do not be afraid. guess it was one of those 1970s things. Thursday evening, seven o'clock, BBC One, Top of the Pops. A selection of music from the charts and there would be the love songs and the mawkish ballads about loving me and loving my dog 
And there would be the comedy songs about Ernie, the fastest milkman in the West, or some spoof recording by the Baron Knights. And then one day, there it was, a group of people singing a version of Psalm 137. I have a suspicion that people of around about my age cannot hear the phrase, by the rivers of Babylon, without the accompanying earworm of Boney M singing those words. How such a song ever found its way into the music pop charts is a mystery to me. Apparently it was actually the second recording of it. Somebody had recorded it some years before and it didn't catch on, but they did it and it, and it caught on. And I actually wonder, those people who you see doing this awful sort of 70s dancing in the Top of the Pops studio, did they have a clue what it was they were dancing to or singing to? Psalm 137 is what the theologian Walter Brueggemann calls a psalm of disorientation. I was actually reading up some of Brueggemann's writing on the psalms this week and I printed it out for you. I, could, I was very tempted just to stand and read what Brueggemann says. I thought, no, I'll print it out for you. You can take it home and you can listen to what I think on top of what Mr Brueggemann has to say. But Brueggemann calls it a psalm of disorientation. It's a dark psalm. It expresses powerful, negative emotions that come from painful experience. Other scholars use the term a lament psalm to describe it, a song of desolation, of regret, or sadness. And we find lament songs in the music of many, many different nations. A way back, around the time I used to watch Top of the Pops on a Thursday, I also tried to learn the violin. And one of the things I had was a book of Scottish fiddle music. And one of the things that struck me was how many of the tunes that I tried to learn were called McSo-and-so's Lament or Rant. And I was struck when I tried to play those that they had a kind of haunting sense to them. And there was pathos. Deep sorrow was expressed through the music. But I was also struck by the connection of the word lament with rant. Because where I grew up, and at the time that I grew up, a rant was kind of a bit of a, you know, you had a good moan, you got it off your chest, you said it how it was. You expressed your anger or your frustration. And so the idea of holding together lament and rant seems to me a helpful one as we look at Psalm 137. Because it's all these things. It's written from a place of disorientation. It is dark and in places very dark. And it's a rant. I don't think before Beth did it for us today, I've ever heard that psalm read out loud in its entirety because the closing verses are just too awful for us to hear. We don't like it. We kind of cut it off. We don't want that bit. It's too brutal, this talk of somebody taking babies and smashing their heads against rock and somebody delighting in that possibility. So here we are then, 
a very dark and bewildering psalm, lament and rant, and a very popular pop song of the 1970s. As the saying goes, who'd have thunk it? When I was planning this series of, of services, looking at the Psalms, inspired by Leo's request, I was going to use Psalm 137 to think about, well, you know, there are these nasty bits that we, we don't like to talk about. But times moved on, and actually I'm not sure, I felt less sure that that was the right thing, that wasn't what um, God was leading me to share with you, if I can go all holy for two seconds. In the light of events on the world stage, in the light of events in the lives of people I know and people I love, I actually felt more and more drawn to this question that the psalmist asks. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Most scholars think this psalm was written down, recorded after the exile in Babylon, though it is entirely possible that it emerged during that time of exile, at least in a kind of oral form that people sang it. Driven from their homes and forcibly relocated to a strange land, the people of Israel gather together, clinging to anything that marks out their identity, and they think about home. The devastation and loss is overwhelming. They sit under the willow trees and they cannot even find it within themselves to sing the songs that define who they are. And so literally or metaphorically, they hang up their harps on the trees, symbolising their loss of joy, their loss of hope, their bewilderment the strangeness of it all. And then just to add insult to injury, their captors start to taunt them. Sing us one of your songs of Zion, they say. Sing about who you are. What thing about your dreams? I can't actually quite imagine what that must have felt like. To be corralled into some kind of holding camp and then people say to us, well, come on then, sing Flower of Scotland, sing Scotland the Brave, ha ha. Because that's the kind of level that we're at. Probably has to be land of our fathers for some people, and it might be other things for other people. But these songs who, just, who define who we are, that's what we're talking about. It's brutal and contempt and harsh contempt for them. You can almost see the sneers on their faces. You can hear the barbed comments. You're not so smug now, are you, you believers? Huh. Come on then, sing that song again. It's a strange land. A place to which they were taken forcibly and the natives are not exactly friendly. This is exile. This is a strange land. Most of us, thankfully, will never literally experience exile. We will never be rounded up and expelled from our homeland. Though, of course, we know all too well that we have friends among us who have had to flee their homeland. 
But the truth is that most of us, probably all of us, at some point in our lives, will find ourselves in a metaphorical strange land where our confidence is shaken and our sense of identity challenged. The strange land of bereavement. The strange land of a life-changing medical diagnosis. The strange land of redundancy. <coughs> the strange land of relationship breakdown. Maybe even the strange land of doing church in a hotel. The strange lands in which we find ourselves are generally not peopled by hostile captors, it has to be said. On the contrary, usually we will find ourselves surrounded by kind, caring, well-meaning people who want to help. The trouble is that all too often it's as if there's an invisible barrier around those who experience the exile those who inhabit the strange land. Well-intentioned words and actions can miss the mark and actually increase the sense of isolation or sometimes even accidentally inflict wounds. Sometimes it feels as if this strange land has hard borders with high fences and razor wire on the top and there are checkpoints to which we go and are repeatedly turned away, go back into that place of exile. And of course, for the strange lands we have mentioned here, sometimes there is no return from exile. We cannot leave this unchosen place of bereavement, of chronic or life-threatening illness of changed circumstances. But actually, we have to learn to sing the Lord's song within this strange land. This psalm could just as easily be our psalm, whether as individuals or as a community. We didn't choose to be here, but this is where we find ourselves and sometimes it is very hard. So how do we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? The middle section of this psalm gives us an insight into how this group of people reacted to that. Even if this is the case, they sing, we will not forget who we are. We will not be destroyed. In the psalm, it is their history as the people of Israel, their national identity that drives them. And they've got this dream and determination to one day go home and rebuild their temple. And they're saying, if I forget you, if I forget you, I must not forget who I am. We have to have a little note of caution with this middle section because as many commentators observe, you could read this simplistically in a way that is linked to political Zionism even in our own time rather than recognising that it has a context. 
These are people whose very identity is being challenged, and so their national identity is part of who they are. It's not about a particular piece of land in a particular part of the Middle East. So yes, we need to be cautious, but even so, there is a message that may be helpful for us. Our experience of the strange lands in which we find ourselves individually or collectively is unique. It is our experience. And yet, it is true that others may have been somewhere similar before us. But the reality is their footsteps are faint and the winds of time have blown them away. Do you remember that old spiritual? You've got to walk that lonesome valley. You've got to walk it by yourself and nobody else can walk it for you. You've got to walk it by yourself. I suspect that for each and every one of us there can be such a sense of exile, of feeling all alone, of having our very identity challenged, even when outwardly it looks like we're fine. We may inhabit our own strange land that has the potential to diminish us or to overwhelm us. It may be that we feel our own unique and precious identity is being undermined or threatened. And if that is how anybody feels today, if you're putting on a good face but actually you feel alone and isolated and everything's cramming down on you, then if nothing else, hopefully this psalm gives you permission to acknowledge that. But it's normal that it happens to other people. It's not just you. I think that's a question we often ask ourselves. Is it just me? No, it isn't just any one of us. And no, it just isn't just us as a community. So how do we avoid then being overwhelmed by despair? What might help us to hold on to our sense of identity and keep on keeping on Daring to believe that one day we will find a more hopeful place to be. How do we sing the Lord's song in this strange land? I chose the, passage, the, the selection from John 14 to set alongside the psalm for a number of reasons. As I'm sure you are familiar, it's a psalm, a passage that is very often used in funerals because it is a, a very hopeful and honest passage. Jesus speaks directly to those he loves best and who are on the brink of entering their own strange land because he will be leaving them. He will be dying. They're going somewhere scary and new. And I wonder if maybe this little passage has something to say to us in our strange lands, to offer us some hope and some encouragement to go on singing the Lord's song, even when everything around us seems to suggest otherwise. Jesus talks about going ahead to prepare a place in my father's household, he says, 
there are many dwelling places. And I go ahead to get one ready for you. And I think that's beautiful. It's beautiful because it captures something of diversity and community in the life to come. A household, a family, a community, and many dwelling places. Space for difference and diversity. But perhaps the important thing to note today is not just the beautiful image, but it's the fact that Jesus has travelled this path before us. For us, it's new and uncharted territory, at least in terms of how we feel and who we, how we feel about ourselves. But Jesus has walked this road before us. Do not be afraid, says Jesus. I write, as we would reply. I mean, do you actually realise how terrifying, how undermining, how confusing, how bewildering all of this is? Do not be worried or upset, he adds, as if that were possible. I mean, how can you not worry about the future when all this stuff is going on around you? How can you not be upset when you turn on the television or whatever it is? Pious platitudes aren't going to get us anywhere. What we don't need is a Jesus who just goes, it's all right, it'll be fine, when we're, we're heartbroken or terrified or bewildered. But I don't think what Jesus is doing is offering pious platitudes. How about I just rework what it says a little bit? What if Jesus says, don't let the fear overwhelm you. Don't let the sadness destroy you. Because I've known these feelings. I've experienced these losses. I understand this strangeness. Perhaps Jesus offers us something to cling to, even if only tentatively. But he knows that nice words aren't enough. He knows we need something more. And one of the most beautiful parts of that passage, I think, is where he says, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll ask my dad to send someone else. Not I can make it right, not I'm God. It's really, really um, a kenotic moment, a, a self-emptying moment, a moment of Jesus being very humble. I know it's going to be tough, he says. I know it's horrible. So trust me, um, I'll ask my dad and, and see if he'll do something for you. And he says, I will ask God to send somebody else to help you, somebody else to comfort you, somebody that will go with you into this strange land. It's certainly true that travelling the strange lands in which we find ourselves is demanding and sometimes demoralising. But by faith, we dare to believe that God is there in the middle of it all. That God's spirit is there alongside us, unseen, probably unrecognised, and holds us within God's love, even if we're not sure that we can feel that. I think we mostly experience God's spirit through each other. Those who share the darkness with us. 
who reach out to us. Those who walk alongside us, even when, frankly, we're quite difficult to walk alongside. And it's God's spirit who enables us to keep on singing the songs that express our true identity as children of God. It'd be really nice to stop there, wouldn't it, with the warm promises of a loving God. But actually, the psalm doesn't allow that. Those scary words at the end of the psalm. The truth is that sometimes when we're in a strange land, sometimes when life is difficult, we may be overcome by the same kind of rage as the psalmist. And we may shock ourselves at the thoughts we have, the venom and the vitriol that at least in our thoughts, but possibly spews out of our mouths. There are times when we can feel taunted or ridiculed by others who seem to be at home in this strange land. And there will be times when we question, who am I? Who am I in all of this? And because of that, sometimes we do lash out to others. And we may say things we wish we could unsay or do things we wish we could undo. The psalm gives us permission to let go of those feelings. Not to each other, though sometimes, of course, we will. We all hurt those we love the best, the most. That's a fact. But actually to say, let them out to the God who's big enough to take all that pain and hurt and anger and frustration. And then forget it. We're told that God will forget our sins totally. So God will hear those nasty words, those nasty thoughts, suck them up through the cross and then forget them. They're gone. How do we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? How do we hold on to our identity when it seems like we're in exile? Where is God when everything is dark and frightening and we feel we're all alone? Maybe we should make like the psalmist and tell God how we really feel. Maybe we need to make like the psalmist and say, I'm not going to be overcome. We are not going to be overcome. We choose to hold on to God's promises, no matter what. And we hear and we hold on to those promises of Jesus, trusting that he's walked the road ahead of us. That one day we will come out the other side. That one day the sun will shine again, the rain will stop. But until then, we have the promise of God's spirit to travel with us. When it rains, look for rainbows. When it's dark, look for stars. And so we're going to sing together some words from the prophet Isaiah, expressing the promises of God to those who are in exile, to the person who feels they're an outcast or they're lonely. And we choose to name these promises of God as our own. We hear the voice of God say, Do not be afraid, for I have redeemed you, Jeff, Rory, Rachel, 
Beth, Edith, Sheila, whoever. I've called you by your name, Katrina, Joan, Leo, Ruth, Andrew. You are mine. Can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? How can we pray for a world so complicated and confusing? Let us pray together. God of the exile, the outcast, the stranger, hear our prayers for others and for each other. The prayers that are straightforward to formulate and the prayers that are wrung from our vulnerability and weakness. We begin privately and personally 
taking a few moments of silence to open our hearts, our minds, our very selves to you, knowing ourselves to be loved without condition and accepted as we are, we dare to name the strange lands we inhabit, the hurts we bear, the fears that debilitate us, the sadness or the regret that besets us. God of the hidden places, hear our prayers and bring us to the light of your love. We pray for those whose names appear in our church diary, confident that you who love them know their deepest longings and needs, hopes and fears. Today we pray for Wendy, whose warm personality and mischievous sense of humour are shared with us when she leads our prayers and whose thoughtfulness is expressed in Bible study and discussion. We pray for Anita and for Neil, whose lives are demanding in time and in energy, yet to give of themselves in the life of our church, in Sunday school and creche, and in the behind-the-scenes work, work of clearing up week by week. We pray also for Bonnie, delighting in her energy and individuality, that as she grows in body, mind and spirit, she will flourish and know herself loved and cherished by us and by you. God of the ordinary places, hear our prayers and bring us the light of your love. In this autumn season, when in pre-Christian times this would have been the turn of the year, when now we remember all saints and all souls as October slips into November, we light a candle and we pray for all who grieve the loss of loved ones. And in the quiet of our hearts, we name those we have loved and have lost. God of the liminal places, hear our prayers and bring us the light of your love. Moving out from our church, we pray for the work of the Baptist Union of Scotland, whose annual assembly has just taken place. We pray for those employed in administrative roles and those whose roles is strategic. And especially, we pray that the preparations for the 150th anniversary celebrations next year will be a positive experience. God of nearby places, hear our prayers and bring us the light of your love.
Wider yet, we pray for the work of BMS World, Wish World Mission, who this week invite us to focus on projects relating to health. Especially we bring before you work in Nepal and Thailand, where violence, trauma and poverty result in illness and injury for many in remote, poor or vulnerable communities. Please give wisdom, compassion and skill to all mission partners seeking to alleviate suffering and to bring hope. God of far away places, hear our prayers and bring us the light of your love. Finally, we bring to you the news reports and issues that this week have left us feeling disorientated. Situations of concern, of darkness, of exile or lamentation. Especially we pray for the Jewish community of the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pennsylvania, facing the tragedy of murderous anti-Semitism. And we pray that your shalom will be experienced as you draw alongside them in this, their strange land. And that your spirit will transform the hearts of those around them. God of all places, hear our prayers and bring us the light of your love. For we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we rejoiced. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the watercourses in the Negeb, 
May those who sow in, in tears reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves. Thank you. 